So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about uh, one of the characters in the Bible named Anna. But before we do that, I want to just um, show you a quick video. I love Christmas surprises. I mentioned that. How many of you love, like, the anticipation of people opening things? Like, you just get, yes, Sarah, that's it. She goes like this. That's how I feel. A couple years ago, we bought a Christmas puppy, and we literally had the puppy under the box, under the tree, and I thought my head was going to explode. I was so excited anticipating that moment that my kids, like, were going to open it, and in Side was going to be like the actual live puppy. I mean, what what could be better than that, right? Um, and so I wanted to show you a video because my second favorite thing to watch, like on the internet, of like soldiers coming home, that always gets me first. That's the first one, right? If they're coming home, the surprising. That's the first one. But the second one, better than puppies, is when people make pregnancy announcements at Christmas and grandmas and grandpas open the pregnancy, you know, and find out that they're going to be grandparents. So I put together a few of my favorite clips of people learning that they're going to be grandparents at Christmas. Oh, 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 oh,
one of them. Oh, I'm going. Oh, I'm going. Because he told me comes in the Kerr household, I am going to lose my marbles. I will have no chill. It's going to be fun. But I love, I love Christmas surprises. We're going to turn in your Bibles today to Luke chapter 2. We're going to talk about the Christmas story a little bit past the day that Jesus is actually born. So Luke 2 is where we find the Christmas story. But today I want to talk to you about um, another character in the Christmas story, and her name is Anna. Maybe you've never heard of Anna, the Christmas, uh, Christmas character, Anna. She's not in our nativity, but she is most definitely a part of the story. And a little background about what we're going to read about tonight. Mary and Joseph, they were Jewish. They were Jewish, and so they followed the laws and rituals that Jewish people observed in those days and times. And so eight days after a baby was born, they were taken to the temple for baby boys. They were taken to the temple for circumcision, and that signified the child's incorporation into the Jewish family. So eight days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple. We see that in Luke chapter 2. They took him there for that. But then they would go to the temple to offer a purification offering and to dedicate that child to the Lord. So when we have baby dedications here at church, when we dedicate um, kids to the Lord, Jesus was dedicated to the Lord, and their tradition was 40 days after a child was born, they would bring the baby to the temple, and they would have him dedicated. And so that is what we are looking at today in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25, because Joseph and Mary have brought 40-day-old Jesus, so he's six weeks old, to the temple. And this is what we read. Luke 2, 25 through 38, it says this. If I can find it. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So we're talking about Simeon, this devout man who God had promised, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the promised Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Verse 36, here's where we hear about our Anna. Anna... A prophet was also there in the temple. 
She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. That's sad that that's in scripture, huh? She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph. And then she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So I want to talk to you this morning about this lady named Anna. This lady who saw the baby Jesus, one of just a handful of people that knew that Jesus had been born. And what we can learn from Anna, I believe there's a couple things that we can learn from her today. And the first thing is this. If you will position yourself in the house of God, you will learn the secrets of God. Let me say that again. If you'll position yourself in the house of God, you will learn the secrets of God. Now, there are things in our lives that we learn through volume of time and proximity. There are some things that only can be learned through volume of time and proximity. Now, I know things about Jeff Kerr that none of you know. Thankfully so. <laughs> but I know, and he knows things about me that none of you know. Now, how does he know those things? Because we spend an awful lot of time together. It's proximity of time, days, weeks, hours, minutes that we have spent together. I know him probably better than anybody else in the world because I'm with him all the time. So I'm close to him. The proximity of me and him is very close, and just the compilation of hours, right? Just proximity of time and frequency of time spent together, that's how you really get to know somebody, right? I'm sure we all can say that about our families. We probably all know the little intricacies. You're probably getting ready for the holidays, and you know that your uncle's going to act this way, and your grandma's going to do that, because proximity of time gets us to know things about people that we otherwise wouldn't know. Now, Anna, we learn from reading that scripture, Anna never left the temple day and night praying and fasting. So she was always there. She was always there. Now, we don't know what that necessarily totally means. Scholars differ. Some scholars think that when she became a widow, that maybe she was poor, and so she moved into the temple and served there. She would sweep the floors, and she would take care of things, that that could have been her lifelong job, that she could have lived there. Other scholars think that, no, she was just very devout, and so she was there so much that it was like she lived there. She was always there. It says day and night she would come and pray and fast and serve in the temple. Whether or not she lived there or whether or not it was like she lived there because of the proximity of time that she was there, we know this. The temple was her life. This place was her world. This was her life. She prayed there. She fasted. She served. There was nothing more important to Anna than being in the house of God. She was 84 years old. We saw that in scripture. She, and it said that she lost her husband after seven years of marriage. So she had been a widow for at least 60 years or more. And in that day and age, things were very difficult for widows. So we know that she had never remarried. She had never found an, uh, another family, but she had devoted herself to the house of God for at least 60 years, maybe even more. We don't know if she had children. We don't know if she was poor. But we do know this. 
She had found her place. She had found her place in the heart of God and in the house of God. There was a passion inside of her that drew her back to this place over and over and over again. And it was the place that she wanted to be. And I have to believe that it was just not the building. It wasn't just being in the building that was important to her. I believe the fact that she prayed and sought God and knew him meant that her heart was so knit into the things of God that there was nothing more important to her. This was the most important thing to her in the world. Now, maybe she had always had a heart for God. Maybe she grew up and knew God her whole life, and as she grew in years, each year it just grew deeper and deeper and deeper, and it was just a continuation of a life that had loved Jesus her whole life, loved God her whole life. Or maybe, maybe there's something about the fact that she was a young widow, that she had lost her husband only after seven years, and maybe there was something that she learned through that sadness, through that grief, through that vulnerability that she began to find a place when she would come into the temple where her soul was made whole again, where she felt comfort, where she had community, where she came and she began to grow. And it began not only just being the place she went, it became the place she had to be. It became the place that grounded her and filled her up and gave her purpose and meaning and life. Maybe she discovered something there in her relationship with God, that, that she couldn't get enough of. And by the time we meet her when she's 84, nothing else in the world even matters to her. But being in the house of God. I love Anna. It reminds me of one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27. And in verse 4, it says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. It's one of my favorite scriptures. The only thing I want is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That is the heart of Anna right there in Psalm 27. Another version of scripture says it this way. The Good News Translation says, I've asked the Lord for one thing, one thing only do I want, to live in the Lord's house all of my life and to marvel there at his goodness and to ask him for his guidance. I love that translation of it. When we look at that scripture, the word dwell, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in the original Hebrew, you know what that means? It means to sit down. The only thing I ask is that I can sit down in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I love that. I love the idea that it's not just passing through on my way to something else. It's not just occasionally coming, but the idea of coming in, sitting down, making yourself comfortable, and being a part of that. I love that. To dwell, to sit down in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now that word beauty is a Hebrew word that is called noam. I had to look that up. And it means delightfulness. It means beauty. But my favorite definition of this is pleasantness. Isn't that a great word? Pleasantness. To gaze upon the pleasantness of the Lord. 
I studied this a few weeks ago, and I just, it kept rolling around in my head. God, I thank you that you are a pleasant God. Have you ever been around someone who's just pleasant to be around? They're just, they're just nice to be around. It's just not hard. You know, there are people that you go around, and it's just, just this effort. It just takes a little bit of effort to, like, either they're too quiet or they're too loud or they're just annoying or they disagree with you and stuff. But when you're around someone who is just pleasant, isn't it just refreshing? I love that in all of the different things that, are, that God is described in in Scripture, and he is described in a lot of different things, that one of them is that he is pleasant. To gaze upon the pleasantness of the Lord. That same word is used in Psalm 90:17, and it says, May the favor, the pleasantness, the beauty of the Lord our God rest on us. And establish the work of our hands. I love that. Young's literal translation says that verse. And let the pleasantness of Jehovah, our God, be upon us. I believe Anna had discovered the pleasantness of God. You don't spend day and night with something that is terrifying to you. You don't spend day and night with something that feels distant and awkward or is out of duty and routine. When your heart is knit to something, you have gazed at the beauty of the thing. And there's something in you that wants more of it. And that's really what God is like. And when we have created this vision of God that isn't pleasant and beautiful and enticing, something that draws us to want more of him, we do not have an accurate view of who he is because that's who he is. The more you get to know him, the more you want more of him, the more you want to be around him and learn about him and learn about his word. Anna had dedicated her life to serving in his presence, and she had found a home there. She found a place there. When she didn't have anything else, that was where she wanted to be. And when the moment came and Jesus was in the temple that day, she recognized him. She knew him. She recognized him because she already knew him. She had known him for so long that when he was there in flesh and blood in front of him, she knew it. She knew it. Because when you position yourself in the house of God, you will learn the secrets of God. When you have devoted yourself to Christ, you've devoted yourself to learning, to talking to him, to making your life about him, then you will begin to see things of him that you never saw before. You'll know him better. You'll understand his heart. When she passed by Mary and Joseph talking to Simeon, she knew that that was the Messiah. The Greek word used there in Luke 2 implies intuition and recognition. When she saw him, something in her intuition and her recognition, she was like, wait a minute, I know who this is. She knew who Jesus was. And I wonder, I think about, you know, I see these things like a movie. I wonder how many people walked past them in that day. When Mary and Joseph were standing there, there were two people that recognized who this baby was. But I wonder how many other people were on their way and they came to make their sacrifices and do their normal routine and walked right past this young family standing in the church and they, God was in the midst of them and they didn't see it because they didn't know him. But Anna knew him. And as soon as she saw him, she recognized him. How did she know? Because she had positioned herself in the house of God. So she knew the secrets of God. How many people in the Christmas story actually know that Jesus 
made his arrival. If you think about it, I, I added it up in my hand. We've got Mary and Joseph, right? They're told that Jesus is coming. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been told. The shepherds, the wise men, and Simeon and Anna. That's it. That's, I lost track, sorry. <laughs> That's not very many people, right? You would think that when Jesus is coming to earth that it would be like this mass, big, huge thing of let everybody know. Why so few? Why so few were told of his arrival? Let me ask you this. How long until Jesus began the public side of his ministry? How long until he started to let people know that he was the son of God? 30 years. He was 30 years old before he went public. So he was hidden away for 30 years in the house of Joseph and Mary. He was tucked away in Nazareth, this small little town in the middle of nowhere, for 30 years. But God told Anna that he was there at the beginning. I love how God chose to share this secret with an 84-year-old widow. If you were to look in the social hierarchy of the, that day and age, an 84-year-old widow would have been way at the bottom of the list. And yet, she was chosen to know that the Messiah had come. Was there, there wasn't anything profoundly special about Anna. She wasn't famous or royal or wealthy or had a high position. She swept the floors in the temple. But she loved God. And she was there day and night. Anna learned the secret of proximity and volume of time. She learned that. If you want to grow in your faith, there's no shortcut to proximity and volume of time. There's just no shortcut. There's no way around it. Um, my daughter just finished her first semester of college, and it was making me thinking about she was in finals week last week, and so I was thinking about finals. And in college, I was a voice major, and so um, I used to remember all of the other majors cramming for finals, and I remember getting really frustrated about that because I was a voice major. My end-of-year project was I would have to go in front of a jury, and I would have had a list of songs that I would have to sing from memory, and I was graded on how I sang them. And so... While everybody's else, yeah, I'm going to just cram three days and write my paper. I'm like, you can't cram being able to sing something. You have to practice. You have to practice here and there. It's like um, if you were going to exercise, this is not my expertise, but I'm guessing, Lonnie and Rebecca, that you can't cram for a marathon, right? Can't cram for a marathon. Can't be like, I'm going to, do, I'm going to run a marathon next week, but I'm just going to really cram this week, and I'm just going to make it happen. It just doesn't work that way. There are certain things that you just have to do over time. There are certain things that you just have to build upon and build upon and build upon. And our spiritual lives are one of those things. It's nice to go to a conference and get really excited, or maybe you have like a really great encounter with God and something really significant happens, or, or maybe you go to a camp or something and you have this really great emotional experience, and those are all great. But true spiritual growth happens every day. It happens every week. It happens every minute when you choose how you're going to respond to somebody. It happens in the line of the checkout counter when you choose to show the light of Christ to somebody. It happens when you get up early and you read the scriptures. It happens when you drag your butt out of church. Or wait, no, out of bed and come to church. <laughs> Don't drag your butt out of church. That would be bad. We want you here. 
these things happen daily. You can't cram them. It just has to become a discipline. And so Jeff talked to you a little bit about what we're going to be doing next year. We want to help you with tools to help you learn that daily discipline. That daily discipline of growing in faith, it just doesn't happen fast. You just got to do a little bit every day. And someday you're going to wake up and you're going to look back and go, whoa, have I grown? I'm not the same person I was over there. And it's incremental because it happened every day when you took the time to read the scriptures and learn how Jesus would respond in something. And then you incorporate that into your life and how you respond in something. It happens every single day. True intimacy with Christ, the place where you truly learn the secrets of him, they happen every day over time, meditating on his goodness, praying, reading the scriptures, discovering the goodness and pleasantness of who God is and letting it draw himself to your heart. So I want to challenge you with this question. How are you going to position yourself in proximity and frequency to Christ this year. How are you going to position yourself in proximity and frequency to Christ this year? Maybe that means you're going to just download a bunch of podcasts and spend your commute listening to sermons online. Maybe you're going to buy some books. Maybe you're going to join a small group where you can have community and have people talk um, about what's going on in your life. Maybe it is getting up 15 minutes earlier every day. Maybe it's buying one of those books next week so that you challenge yourself every day to read the scripture. What are you going to do in the coming year to position yourself in proximity and frequency to Christ? If you will make the investment you will begin to see the beauty of God in a whole new way. That's the beauty of all this, is the more I get to know Jesus, the more I love his word. I can't get enough of it. I love to read it. There are so many, the way it all works together, and once I learn more about who God is and the beauty of who he is, I just love him more. I, even the parts I don't understand, I just know the goodness of his character, and I'm so drawn to his heart. The more you dive in, the more you will get out of it. And some of you feel really bored with faith and really dry, and it doesn't seem interesting. You will get out of it what you put into it. And if you take the time to begin to learn who God is, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to put yourself in proximity to him, I promise you something is going to begin to spark in you. And God's going to begin to talk to you and reveal himself to you. And you're going to want more of him. Because when we really encounter him, man, we want more of who God is. Because he is that good to us. Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. If we will put ourselves in the right position, God will show you things that will excite you. And not only that, here's what I love about God. He knows you better than anybody else. So he knows if you are intellectual, he's going to reveal things in Scripture that will make your brain so excited. Because there are things in there that you're like, how in the world could this be over here and connect over here? If you are emotional and relational, there are things in there that you're going to go, oh my goodness, there is, there's truth in here for how I can deal with people. Whatever your passion is, God knows you and he will reveal himself to you in that way that is going to ignite something in you. He is that personal of a God. But you have to meet in there. You have to make the investment. And if you do... I believe he will begin to unlock the secrets of who he is 
to you. So we learn from Anna that if you will position yourself in the house of God, you'll learn the secrets of God. And secondly, we learn one more thing about Anna in Luke 2.38. And this is what it says in, in verse 38. It says, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for the God to rescue Jerusalem. So Anna met Jesus and then she told others about what she had experienced. We only get three verses about this whole this woman in the entire of scripture. But what we know about her is she recognized Jesus and then she went and she told everyone. It's easy to miss what her reaction is, but it says she began praising God. And then she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, when I read through that, the first 20 times I read through it, I was like, oh, that's nice. You can just see Anna meeting Jesus, who she has been waiting for and praying for and talking to in prayer all these years. I think in my mind, it's like, oh, Anna was praising God. Wasn't that lovely? Can you just see her in my mind at first? I thought, well, she was probably like, oh, praise God. What a cute little baby. I think he might be the savior of the world. Bless him. Was she, do you think it was that kind of reaction? No, I think it was way more like that video we watched earlier, right? Of, he's here, and I get to see him. I think there was an explosion of emotion in Anna. And actually, as I began to read commentaries, this is what scholars say. This was an uncharacteristic, loud, explosive eruption of praise. So now let's imagine 84-year-old widow, Anna, who usually is, is shuffling around the temple, all of a sudden screaming and praising God and making a scene. That is what this moment is like. I can imagine that when she saw Jesus, something erupted inside of her that had been waiting for so long. The joy that came out of her must have been amazing. You know what? She, these people have been waiting hundreds of years. Old Testament prophecies were filled with the promise of the Messiah. And suddenly, on this random day in the temple, she walks past this little family. And the Holy Spirit whispers to her heart, that's him. That's him. I can only imagine in my mind the explosion of praise that came out of her. Not only because God had sent his Messiah, but that he had let her see him. Can you imagine? I, I get to see him. I get to know him. You're telling me? That, to me, is just shows the beauty of God. I just imagine him watching this faithful servant being like, yeah, Anna, you're so old, Anna. But guess what? You're going to get to see Jesus. And I can imagine God just watching her and the joy that would fill his heart that this woman who had dedicated her life got the surprise of her life that she got to see Jesus, the Messiah. I think that that's pretty amazing. So when it says, Anna began praising God, it's one nice little sentence, but in my mind, I will always remember the grandma's reaction. And that is what I am going to always picture Anna being like when she discovers it. And then it says, she ran. She ran to tell everybody. Actually, the, the word that she used for sudden and expressiveness, I wanted to tell you this one. It's a big, long Greek word. Charlie, can you put that up there? I'm not going to even attempt to say it. It's a big, long Greek word, but it's the only time in the New Testament this word is ever used. And that's the explosion of joy. 
that came out. And anytime in scripture you see that this word is used once in all of scripture, it means it's something special. And that word is the explosion of joy that came out of Anna. Now, there is an Old Testament parallel to that word in Psalm 90, uh, 79, 13, and it says this, We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever, praising your greatness from generation to generation. What that word implies is this explosion of joy and laughter, but it also means that we will make sure that we pass on what we've seen today. We will make sure that others will know what has just happened. There is a generational component to this explosion of praise. It's so that everyone will know. Anna erupts in praise, and then she tells everyone. She starts running around and letting everybody know. Can you see her running to house to house of all of her little friends saying, I saw him. I saw him. He's here. And they probably thought, oh, Anna's maybe lost her marbles a little bit. (laughs) What's wrong with Anna? But she went and told everybody she could. I love that. It wasn't enough that she had seen him for herself. She wanted to make sure that everyone else knew about him too. Her closeness with Jesus solicited the depth of her response. The fact that she knew and loved him so well made her explode and just want to tell everybody. So my question to you today is, what are you doing to ensure that future generations will know the goodness of God? What steps are you taking in your home, in your workplace, around your friends? Do you talk about your love of God? Does it pour out of you? Because it poured out of Anna because she loved God so much that it couldn't help but just when she was talking to people, tell what God had done, to tell the goodness of God. It poured out of her so that generation after generation would know the goodness. What are you going to do this year to make sure that you are sharing the goodness of God with others as well? I'm so grateful for my family that has shared the stories of what God has done in their life. My grandpa Pennington, if you sit down with him for five minutes, he will just start talking about how good God has been to him. He's 97, 8 in January. Seven, thank you. I should know that. It's so many years. (laughs) He can't help but talk about how God has been so good to him. It takes five minutes in conversation before he turns it around to how faithful God has been to him over his life. I want that to be my story. I want my kids to think, well, yeah, my mom, yeah, she, she was a hot mess on a lot of things, but man, did she love Jesus? Did she love Jesus and other people? That is what I want. So what do you need to do for that to begin to pour out of you? How can you position yourself this year so that you grow closer to God and it begins to spill out of your heart and your mind and your attitude and your words? When you position yourself in the house of God, you'll learn the secrets of God. So we all get out of it what we put into it. We all get out of it what we put into it. And so I want to challenge you today. There are, there's so much more to know about him. It is good and beautiful and pleasant. And if you will commit to making the investment to place yourself close to the heart of God and say, God, I just want to know you more in this coming year. I believe he will begin to unlock the secrets of his word to you. I begin you'll learn more. I think you'll learn more about his character, about how good he is, and then it will spill out of you. And others will want to know what you have, and they will desire Christ as well. Let's pray.
Jesus, I love you so much. You are so, so good. Lord, I pray today that our lives would be so knit to yours that others would be able to see it. God, I'm so challenged by the story of this beautiful woman that we don't know very much about, but we do know one thing. She loved you so much that you chose to put her story in Scripture so that thousands and thousands of years later, we are the generation after generation after generation that are hearing about how much she loved you. How amazing that her heart for you God, a woman who seemingly had nothing. She didn't have any extraordinary talents or gifts or make her mark on the world in any other thing other than she sat close to your heart. And you just chose to reveal yourself to her because you were so moved by the beauty of her love for you. God, I'm challenged. I want that kind of love for you. Lord, I pray that you would begin to help all of us. Lord, you know our intentions. You know, so often we desire that kind of intimacy, and yet we know that it's a daily walk of proximity and frequency, and that's where we get stuck because our heart wants to know you more, and yet we find ourselves without the discipline to actually do the work day by day by day. So I pray that this would be just a defining year for us, Lord, that all of us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you've promised that we can ask for you to help us, that you would draw us closer to yourself. We're asking, that's our heart's cry, Lord, that you would draw us closer and that daily we would begin to spend more time with you, more time in your word, more time thinking about how you would want us to handle a situation than we just go on our own strength, God, that we would become more like you every day. I pray that this would be a year of unprecedented spiritual growth in every person here. Lord, we want to be more like you. We want to represent you well. You are so worth knowing. You're so good and pleasant and kind. And Jesus, we want that to fill us up so much that it seeps out of us into the world around us. Thank you for being such a good God and worth knowing so well. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your great name. Amen.